Hi, this week on Stay Tuned, we are looking at shows about women. We begin with a series that ran for seven years, resulting in 163 episodes. I call it Lofty Aspirations by Designing Women. It revealed the joyful, disheartening, and disturbing details that occur in a long-term friendship. In September of 1986, a show debuted not only about friendship, but also about running a business, becoming independent, trusting in yourself, and living a truly Southern lifestyle. We had watched shows about sisters before, about a workplace staff, and how women rely on each other, but this show put it all in one place. Had the show been set in Chicago, Salt Lake City, or Boston, it would have been a totally different show. Julia Sugarbaker, played by Dixie Carter, owns a design firm and runs it from her house. Her shallow sister, Suzanne, played by Delta Burke, who is a beauty queen and is still a diva, works there too. Along with divorced mother, Mary Jo, played by Annie Potts, a naive country girl, Charlene, played by Jean Smart, and a black ex-con man named Anthony, played by Meshach Taylor, who not only delivers furniture for the business, but delivers his unique viewpoint as a male among women. For the seven seasons the show was on the air, we got to know each of the characters intimately. We saw them fall in and out of love, get married, get dumped, love each other, hate each other, and learn about themselves as they went through all these changes together. While Julia is the face of the company, Suzanne is a silent partner. Mary Jo is the head designer, Charlene is the office manager, and Anthony takes on a variety of duties that need to be tended to. The famous exterior of the home was the Villa Mar, a Victorian mansion from 1981 that was located in the MacArthur Park Historic District in Little Rock, Arkansas. You can still drive by it today, and it's listed on the National Registry of Historic Places. The Golden Girls, which we'll look at next time, had premiered the year before Designing Women. You can definitely see a similarity in the two shows. Both were set in the South. The business was in Julia's house, while the older women friends lived in Blanche's home. You can compare Dorothea to Julia and Charlene to Rose, and with a little stretching, Suzanne to Blanche. With a lot of stretching, Anthony and Mary Jo can be compared to Sophia. They're more practical and always willing to offer advice, requested or not. The sitcom was created by Linda Bloodworth Thomason. She wrote about half of the episodes and was determined to include topics women were concerned about, such as extramarital relationships, body image, racial inequality, and terminal diseases. Although the show tackled many controversial issues, it was never preachy or judgmental. Linda's husband, Harry, was an executive producer, so he also influenced the topics. The couple were friends with Bill and Hillary Clinton and voiced a decidedly more liberal viewpoint. This was especially tough on Dixie Carter, who was a committed Republican. Although the show was beloved by fans, critics weren't on board, at least at first. This is an excerpt from a New York Times article that ran in September of 1986. They wrote, Like NBC's Golden Girls, the new series Designing Women Tonight at 9.30 features four women with wisecracks to spare. Although they don't live together in Florida, these women spend most of their time working together in a Victorian-type house in Atlanta. They're in the business of interior decorating. The show was created by, and this evening's premiere written by, Linda Bloodworth Thomason, who also shares the executive producer credit with her husband, Harry Thomason. The fictitious firm of Sugar Baker and Associates is headed by Julia Sugarbaker, a glamorous widow who is far from ready to become a blue-haired little old lady. 
Dixie Carter plays Julia as the graduate of the Beatrice Arthur Elaine Stritch School of Dripping Sarcasm. Julia's three partners are her man-hungry sister, Suzanne, whose alimony checks are filed alphabetically, the recently divorced Mary Jo, who refused alimony, thinking capital punishment would be more appropriate, and a dizzy but shrewd Charlene, whose latest boyfriend is named Shadow, and for some unexplained reason is walking around with a bullet hole in his pants. This, then, is the basic mix, no less promising than any other in a season that continues to give white middle-class parents to all sorts of minority children. Tonight, Suzanne discovers that her gynecologist is retiring. Let him go, advises Julia. He's paid his dues. As it happens, Mary Jo's former husband is a gynecologist. Suzanne visits his office and promptly returns with the news that they have fallen in love. Julia observes, if sex were fast food, there would be an arch over your bed. Miss Bloodworth Thomason is no Susan Harris, whose crackling humor keeps the Golden Girls popping steadily from week to week. On the other hand, Designing Women's has a first-rate cast. Now it's all a matter of figuring out where Designing Women goes from here. Mary Jo's first husband, a major character this evening, isn't even mentioned in next week's episode, which revolves around not interior design, but beauty pageants. And sure enough, Julia gets another scene in which she witheringly tells off another icky character. Already the show looks like four terrific actresses in search of a workable sitcom. So not too um, impressive for the critics. And I was surprised to learn that none of the actresses actually auditioned for their roles. Bloodworth Thomason had the four lead actresses in mind when she wrote the pilot. Smart was the only non-Southern native, having been raised in Seattle. Anthony was not intended to be a regular. He was supposed to have a one-time role, but when asked to improvise with the lead characters, the producers were so impressed with the result that he was written into the show, becoming the first cast member to receive an Emmy nomination. All in all, the show would earn 18 nominations. The cast members' real marriages also intertwined with the characters' relationships. Hal Holbrook played Reese on the show, Julia's beau, and the two were married in real life. Gerald McRaney beat out John Ritter for the role of Suzanne's ex-husband, Dash. Although they were exes on the show, they married in real life. Richard Gilliland won the role of Mary Jo's boyfriend, J.D., but he won the heart of Gene Smart, whom he married in 1987. The show began its run on Monday nights on CBS following Newhart, and it got decent ratings. For whatever reason, CBS began moving the show all over the place. The ratings went down when it was moved to Thursdays against Night Court, then Sundays up against the movie of the week on ABC and NBC. CBS was planning on canceling the show, but a public letter writing campaign saved it from its fate. After receiving 50,000 letters, the network returned it to Monday night slot again. It was often in the top 20 and always in the top 30 through mid-1992. In late 1992, the network moved the show to Fridays, where it again decreased in ratings. The network then canceled the show in 1993. It was hard to blame the network for its eventual cancellation, though. The cast went through too many changes, and the show lost its original charm and focus with so many replacements. In 1990, Delta Burke appeared on a Barbara Walters special and stated that the set was not a happy one. She accused the Thomasons of manipulating her. After that, Burke began showing up late, and sometimes not at all. The writers had to write two different scripts, one with her and one without her. Some people blamed it on McRaney's influence, but whatever the reason, her co-stars took the brunt of her difficulties, having to learn two scripts while continuing to fulfill their contracts. They decided as a cast that they could not continue working with her, and she was let go. 
Julia Duffy, Jan Hooks, and Judith Ivey were all brought on to the show as possible characters, but they were not popular with the audience. Burke and Carter had been close friends up to this point, and the situation destroyed their friendship, at least temporarily. Later, they were able to somewhat repair the strained relationship. I know it sounds like deja vu, but as I have said in many podcasts, there is a rumor of a revival of this show. It was supposed to be out in 2020, and CBS did confirm that it would be debuting at some point. Like most shows, Designing Women had its highs and lows. Once Burke became difficult to work with, the chemistry on the show was never recaptured. When it was good, it was very good. While Julia is, was a proper Southern lady, once her fiery rage was aroused, she could put anyone in their place, and she did it often during the years. In season two, the firm is hired by a gay man who is dying of AIDS and wants to help designing his funeral. The staff become close to him and learn a lot about HIV. A wealthy client of the firm tells Julia that AIDS is killing all the right people which earns him one of her most scathing put-downs. While episodes like this one are heartbreaking, many episodes are just hilarious. In a very funny moment in season three, it's not Julia's tongue that gets the laughs, it's another body part. As she is participating in a charity fashion show, her dress gets caught in her pantyhose, and she ends up mooning 1,200 of Atlanta's most prestigious citizens, including the mayor. Not many series can excel with such a range of topics, emotions, or comedy skills. <laughs> 